Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hope everyone's doing fine today because we're going to talk about smart city sustainability, how a smart city can sustain all those assets they want to put in. But first, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro, TowerTrackerPro.com. I want to thank them for supporting the show, and I want to thank them for their valuable service of providing software as a service, specifically for closeout packages. So you can send your crew on site, and they know step-by-step what to do on the package by not just a, a sheet that you print out and they have to fill in and take pictures, but by actually going step-by-step on a smartphone or on a tablet or something like that where they can automatically have everything fill it in right away in one step. Not a bunch of multiple steps, not a bunch of paperwork that can get lost. They fill everything in. They take the right pictures. The program makes sure that the right data is in the pictures. And then when they think they're done, let's say they get it done in four hours, they send it back to the office for someone to verify that everything is done properly. So before they leave the site, you know that you have the right pictures, the right data, and the right information. Then they can leave the site and go do the next and then the next and then the next. And hopefully with a 5G build out, we'll need this. And I would also think with small cells, we're going to need something like that for a closeout package. I'm just saying it's a good way to get things done right in one site visit. So thank you, TowerTrackerPro.com. I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction, TowerSafety.com, which is a school out in Arizona, but they have online classes and they support tower training, tower safety, tower rescue, you know, all your tower training needs, as well as the first aid training, the CPR training, anything you need from the Red Cross that they can do, and also drone training to do drone work on towers, which the rules have recently changed. I did a post about that. Anyway, towersafety.com, towersafety.com for your tower training needs that go well beyond just tower safety, tower instruction, but also into drone training. And now let's talk about smart city sustainability because that is the big topic. I told you I've been stuck on smart cities lately. It's been a big uh, topic for me personally because uh, there's so many smart city RFPs, RFIs, a lot of information coming out. It's very exciting in this industry. As you know, FirstNet might finally come to uh, fruition after five years. Can you imagine if a carrier took five years to build a system out? I mean, five solid years. It's bad enough they have to wait a year or two for the spectrum. But if they took five years to do this, (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) And it's not even like they're building a real system. And I don't mean to be a jerk when I say that. They're an MVNO, multi-vendor network operator. They're, they're, they're really, you know, Virgin Mobile became an MVNO in like less than six months. (laughs) It's just insane. Anyway, I know it's public safety. I know it's way more complicated. In my opinion, I just wish the states would have had a little more pull. I'm a big fan of the states doing this. That's me. Because the states would have had two or three, maybe five, maybe 10 systems built by now. I'm just saying. Anyway, but. 
With FirstNet coming to fruition, it looks like AT&T is going to get the bid anyway. It looks that way right now. It looks like AT&T is going to have it all. They're going to get the Spectrum, which is going to hurt the auction. So the FCC, what they did, came full circle. <laughs> They're going to make less money at the auction. And uh, AT&T is probably going to get a big customer with government. And AT&T, good luck. I hope everything works out for you with that. And congratulations if you did win. Good job, guys. And I just hope that you can help You know, FirstNet show how the wireless industry moves quickly and efficiently. That's what I really hope that you guys do when you partner with FirstNet, assuming Trump doesn't shut it down. You know, I don't know what's going to happen there. Anyway, I'm, I, I'm just pointing that out because here's something where you actually had a government agency that had $6 billion made from the auctions previously, and it still took them a long time to roll this out. So with smart cities, the city's obviously a lot smaller, but it's still a very complicated deployment. It's not going to be something that they just, you know, uh, write down on uh, a napkin and a bar because <laughs> I've done a lot of deals on napkins and bars. And it's funny. And before you guys make fun of that, before anyone makes fun of that, think of networking as we know it today, because I believe it started in England when a guy wrote out the idea on a napkin and a pub. <laughs> so I know I'm getting way off track. Let's get back to smart city sustainability, smart city sustainability. There's a lot of questions with how it's going to sustain itself, and especially with the cities, which are already tight on money and budgets, and they, they just seem to be spending money left and right on things that they need to do. Whereas with a smart city, it's something they want to do. But I see it as a need, and I'll tell you why. The smart city is going to bring high-tech people to their city. Austin, Texas, Philadelphia wants, is becoming a smart city. There's a lot of cities out there that want to be labeled smart cities. It shows high-tech companies that they have what it takes. But not only that, that's the, the, the big fruit, you know, that's, that's uh, what you're, you're really working hard to get. Let's look at the low-hanging fruit. People like me, I work from home most of the time. Why is that so important? Because I have internet connectivity. It's a big deal. And what happens to a lot of people, I'm very fortunate. I have a beautiful house. I have a nice office in my house. I'm very fortunate. But a lot of people don't have that opportunity, especially people that start internet businesses because they see that as a way out of their full-time job. What are they going to do? They're going to work at a Starbucks. They're going to work at a park. They're going to work at a community center. They're going to work at a library because they have internet connectivity. That's what a smart city will bring. It will broaden the horizon for internet connectivity everywhere. It's going to be a big deal. And matter of fact, I should write a post about that, shouldn't I? But today, I want to concentrate on the sustainability for the city itself. And I want to concentrate on two things. This is very high level. It's not detailed. I'm not going to give you everything. I'm just going to give you the low-hanging fruit, which is very obvious. The first one, expense reduction. We want to really think about how to reduce the expenses that the city has right now. What I'm talking about specifically, I'm going to give you the obvious, and it's lighting, if anyone who works in a city, all those street lamps, whether they're city-owned or utility-owned, it costs a lot of money to pay for that electric every month. That's your tax money. Listen, it's better than the alternative. Nobody wants to walk around in a dark city, especially me. I'd be scared to death. <laughs> Just saying. Safety's a big deal. Lights make it a lot easier to see who's ahead of you, see who's behind you. And when you hear about things happening, most of the time, well, I walk down this dark alley. It's always a dark alley, right? I mean, that's where a lot of the stories come from. 
I digress. The point here is if we can save them money on the electricity they spend for lighting, it might be worth it. Now, there's a lot of different offers out there. Like some people, some companies are coming in and offering to replace all the lighting, but then they want to be able to control who rents the poles or they at least want to get the income from, say, the carriers coming in and renting the poles. And I know I'm getting off track here, but that does play into this because the whole idea of the LED lighting, it's going to save money, but it might need a new lamp post. It might need a new interface. It might even need new power to the pole. And I bring that up because I did a lot of Wi-Fi deployments in the past where they put the Wi-Fi units on the pole, but then they tapped the power off the lamp because Wi-Fi, it was a mesh system. So it didn't really need backhaul. You already have power to light. But lights are a lot of different powers. And if I remember right, you know, they could be 240, 220, 240, 480. And the reason they did that, they wanted high voltage, low current to save money. Okay. That's very important when you consider this, because if you go out there with your LED light, you need to know exactly what's there. But the city wants to put something in that's going to save them money. Now, here's the difference between tech people and financial people. If you go out and say, I am going to cut your electric bill by a third. Yay, everybody's happy. To do that, I'm going to replace all your poles, and it's going to cost $80,000 a pole. <laughs> well, if you talk to a financial guy and says, let me get this straight. He says, you're going to save me, you know, let's say $500 a month, and you're going to cost me, let's say it's five poles, you know, at, at $80,000. What is that? 400,000? So you're going to cost me $400,000 to save me, you know, let's say a grand a month. So my payback is 40 months. That's insane, right? That's why you as technical people have to build the plan out so it can save them money and it has to be reasonable. It ha you can't have a 400 month payback, right? <laughs> it's just not practical. That's the problem with this LED lighting. I love the idea. I think it's wonderful. I think it's an awesome idea to save power and lighting. I think the other thing that's awesome, which I don't see in the East Coast, but I see a lot of it in California, they put those solar panels on the poles, and that's what lights the light bulb. Now, suddenly, you're not talking any electric. But solar costs money, the batteries, the power system, it all the LED lighting, it all costs money. If you have to replace the pole, it all costs money. So you, as technicians, have to prove to the financial people that it's a viable payback. It makes the city look modern. You got to think of that. Cities want to look good. But you have to show them a reasonable payback. Any city worker, anyone in, a, in his position at the city, <laughs> they're going to look at the big picture. They're going to look at the cost it is to replace it, and they're going to look at the payback. You, if you're contracting for them, have to show a good payback. If you work for the city, just, you know, be patient. It's going to come down in price. They just are. And there's better ways to do it. You don't have to replace the whole pole. That seems to be the solution now. I'll tell you why they want to replace the whole pole. It's to make it a more of a valuable asset to make money, to rent to the small cell carriers. That's why they generally want to replace the pole. There is a method to the madness. You as a city just have to be reasonable. Now, remember, if you do this on your own dime, if you are the contractor and you're doing it in your own dime for the city, the city will still get money off the permitting. That's very important. You still have to pull the permits for everything to be done. And if you have to dig up the ground or dig up the road anywhere, it's a lot of money. Trenching in the city is phenomenally expensive, not just for the permitting, but you have to rip everything up. You have to do the trenching. You have to do the repaving. You have to make it look good. And I'm going to tell you, I know you guys say it looks good as new, but I've seen a lot of trenching that just looks like crap. It's just the way it is. 
Again, I'll pull back. LED lighting, it's a waveform to save money, but you have to build a good business plan so they see the long-term sustainability, the long-term cost effectiveness. You can't just say we're going to do it and save you the money and, and think life is going to be rosy. The city workers are very smart and they know they've been around the block, right? It's their city. They want something that they're not going to have to lay out a lot of money, if any money for, and they want to see the payback. If a utility owns a pole, utility is going to want the same thing. And let me tell you something. I worked with utility companies. They need to see a serious business case. The city can see a bigger picture. It looks good. You know, they can see the, the political value and you might be able to get away with more. All utilities are going to look at is the uh, dollars and the uh, payback. You know, they're, they're, that's what they're going to look at. They're going to look at the business plan overall. So I'm just saying LED lighting's cool. Solar systems. That's another way you can save energy. And like I said, I don't see it in the East Coast as much. And in all honesty, we had a pretty good winter this year. There has been a lot more sun. I think they have it working better. The batteries, the efficiency of the system, the efficiency of the solar panels. I think it's almost there. But on the West Coast, when I go through California, when you see a new development, you see solar panels on a lot of street lamps. I don't even know if they run power to them anymore. They, a lot of these just run off solar power, which personally, I think is really cool. Can you imagine no more power for wires? The downside is you're not going to uh, power a, a small cell, let's say, with solar power full time. They're trying it with Wi-Fi. And I have seen areas where they have solar controlling Wi-Fi, but suddenly now, you need like 10 times the panels. You need some serious batteries, and it has to last a lot longer. However, I like the concept. I hope they keep working on it. I hope it gets better, all right? But California is really progressive in this. They use solar panels. Now, I don't see many wind farms or wind, you know, I don't see many, um, you know, the big wind propellers out there for something small like this. It's just not cost effective. There's not enough wind. However, I do see a lot more wind farms on rooftops, and I don't have a link for that. I should look for that. I'll put a link in there if I can think about it. But the LED lighting's real. Dallas is doing it. LA's doing it. I have the links in there. And I'm not talking about the smart bulbs in your home. That's the other way. A lot of people look on Amazon and search this stuff, and that, that's why I'm bringing it up. Smart bulbs in your home are the other way. They're controlled by the Wi-Fi system. What I'm talking about at the lamps is a Wi-Fi hotspot in the street lamps. It's a big difference. But aesthetics matter too. It has to look nice. It has to be pretty and it has to be quiet. Even those lamps that buzz, the older lamps, people complain about those. Now, can you imagine if you put a small cell or something out there and it has a lot of heat, or I'm um, sorry, not heat, it has a fan on it to control the heat and it's loud. That's a problem. You got to think this thing through again, big picture. And when I say big picture, I'm not just talking financially. You need a big picture for the finances and you need a big picture for the technology. And when I say technology, that includes aesthetics, that includes sound. You got to think of the city here. The city matters. All right. Now, let's look at ways for the uh, money, money making opportunities off the assets. And I, I bring this up a lot. I've been harping on this for the past week, but there's the low hanging fruit, like the poles and lampposts, traffic posts, but they have to be able to fit the small cells in, right? Remember that most carriers want the pole to themselves. So you working in the city have to make a decision. Do you plan it out where you can have Five poles on a street where one pole can be like, I'm in the States, okay? One pole can be Verizon Wireless, one pole can be AT&T, one pole can be T-Mobile, and one pole can be Sprint. Or is that not practical because of the fiber situation? 
If you have a fiber, if you only have fiber to one pole, are you prepared to put more than one carrier on one pole? I've seen it play out both ways. Okay. Uh, I've seen it in some cities where they actually have fiber run to multiple poles throughout the city. And what, uh, what they usually do is do quarters. They'll run fiber at each corner uh, at an intersection. That's what I'm, uh, I'm thinking of. And I, I'm drawing a blank. I, I want to say Baltimore, but I'm not sure that's it. But they run a lot of fiber. They have it already there. So you can put a carrier in each corner, right? Because you already have fiber at some of them to control your lights, to control different things, maybe even street lamps to turn them on and off. You have a controller there. The other thing you could do is try to put multiple carriers in, say, one pole. And I believe I saw this in New York City. I could be wrong. I know they were doing it. They were trying to work that out with the kiosks. But what they did, they put the equipment underground and they tried to cram all the antennas in the, in the new pole. You know, they have these fiberglass poles up there, which look really pretty. And uh, New York City really thought it through. So they, they had a plan where they could actually put all the carriers in one pole where the fiber was. Now, with that said, did they run enough fiber? You know, actually, uh, from the things that I have seen, no, <laughs> they didn't have enough fiber. So they had this great plan with one small flaw, not enough fiber. Hey, it happens. But we're learning. It's a learning process. Now, again, I bring up it has to be quiet. I can't stress this enough. People complain. They don't want noise. You can get away with it, like, say, in Times Square, where it's never quiet. But if you're in a residential neighborhood, say, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the way Los Angeles is laid out. When you're in New York, uh, in Manhattan specifically, Manhattan's very noisy outside, very quiet inside. People have adapted to that. You still don't want an extremely noisy site. However, when you're in L.A., it's very spread out. So there's a lot of residential neighborhoods that are in the city. And when I say residential, I mean actual houses. That's a difference. You know, New York City's on an island. It's They built up. In L.A., they built up downtown, but it's spread out. There's a lot of neighborhoods in the city. And a lot of the carriers thought they could just put poles out there. And trust me, I've heard complaints from people. I get emails from people that just can't stand the noise. They said, we can live with everything else. They put this big, ugly box out there, but it's noisy all the time. These fans are on day and night. So th that's why I harp on noise, because I actually know people that uh, complain about it. Now, let's look at other income for the cities to make it sustainable. And one thing they could have is fiber or wireless backhaul that they could share or rent to other people. I'm just saying that now, granted, they'll make money off permitting, right? Anytime someone wants to run new fiber, they get money for permitting. But that's not a sustainable income for the smart city because people are going to do it once or twice and then they're done. In theory, anyway. Seems like they're always adding stuff. Same as the wireless uh, connections to the pole, they're going to get permitting money off that. But if the city already has fiber or a wireless backhaul, what they could do is just they could lease it out, sell it, whatever. It's a way for them to make money. I would recommend leasing if they can or partner with a company that does fiber connections. Let them do it. Another thing for them to actually bring income in is they could partner with a Wi-Fi company and they could get money off Wi-Fi access. They could do digital signage out there and they could actually promote the city and get advertising money off that. And that, that's common in New York City where they do have kiosks when they replace the pay phones. It's already being done. So if you want to do it, it's just one more way to make money. But it's also a way for you to advertise the city, what's going on, uh, alerts, things like that. There's a lot of extras that you get with digital signage. I'm sort of a big fan of that. The other thing you have to do as a city 
is put crazy restrictions in place. Now, trust me, permitting can be a nightmare for a lot of companies. But if you put things in place where you have to run multiple fiber or you have to maybe you're only allowed to dig up the street for once a year, let's say something like that. If you have tunnels under the street, that would be the ideal situation or huge conduits. They do fill up quickly. One thing you could do is maybe rip out the old copper that's not being used. Maybe you could, uh, when they run fiber, have them run enough for two years or three years or five years would be the ideal situation. You could uh, trust people to do things right the first time, but that's a tough thing because most of these companies want to do inspections. So if you're a contractor, you have to make it look nice. You really have to over-deliver when, when you finish it. It really matters. So just be careful about that. Pay attention. Do good work. I also think if you're a company that takes shortcuts or cheats, I think they should ID that in the permitting process and perhaps inspect you even more. You could hire a bad contractor. And I know this because when you work for a larger company, well, when you work for any company, you have people that do work in the city all the time. The problem is with today's world, low bidder wins everything. And a low bidder isn't always the best person to do the job. But you have to really balance it out and you have to make sure the work's done good. And if someone doesn't do a good job, you really have to put them on your blacklist. And you have to learn more than just company names, but people's names. So permitting for underground access is something that, again, the city has to plan out really, really well. But what about Wi-Fi on the ground, too? That's another way the city can make money. They put Wi-Fi on manholes. They can put the equipment underground. The city could probably charge rent for that and make a little money. And don't forget the apps. One thing that I think cities often overlook is how they can make money on the apps in the city. And when I say apps, it's to promote what is going on in the city. Now, granted, a lot of them rely on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So what I'm pointing out is if they could have these apps, they could sell or they could advertise something like that. It's another way for the city to make money. City-owned Wi-Fi, like I said before, it's a great source of income. It's something they could partner with somebody and maybe make a little bit of money off of. Now, these are all assets that are out there you have now. Remember that your parking meters, another source of income. Parking meters are a way for you to quickly you know, make money. But what if uh, you could wirelessly connect those meters? A lot of cities are already doing this. Let's say you could just go out there and any meter you have, anywhere you have a car, the spot, you have a meter, someone could use their credit card, they could pay with an app on their phone, done. It's just done. They could pay with PayPal or something like that. If the parking garages are city-owned, that's another way you could make a quick buck. And you could also track your parking spacers, uh, spaces so people know where to park. It's a big deal. These are just high-level, low-hanging low, <laughs> low low fruit. Ways for you as a city to make money. Ways for you as a contractor to partner with the city and help them actually build a great business case to put this in. Sustainability is the key to making this happen. It's really going to make a difference. I see that as being the big uh, game changer here. I just do. And I'm very excited about it. All right? Remember, I have the 5G Deployment Handbook, the LTE Deployment Handbook. I have the Tower Climbing Introduction hand, uh, Book. And the other, I have a lot of stuff, right? Feel free to get on there and go crazy. I'm on Amazon. I, I sell it in PDF format. But I'd like to thank you for your time. And I really do appreciate you guys uh, sticking with me. The last several episodes, I covered smart city, sustainability, assets. And I'm just trying to drive the point home that the cities have things that are valuable to all of us. And the 
big companies have been moving in on the bigger cities. And if you haven't really made the deal yet, you have a great opportunity to partner with people, but I just want you to think through what you're doing. And I didn't put this in the blog, but when you look at what Mobility has done, they were supposed to do a deployment for Sprint. Mobility had a great opportunity to do an amazing rollout and work with the city. But instead, when they worked with these municipalities and these townships, they didn't make things look nice. They, they did a lot of deployments and installations that really weren't pretty. And uh, it disappointed me because they could have really created a new wave for the industry. They could have really made a, a lot of great changes. But instead, they sort of gave us a black eye. And I, I don't mean to give mobility a hard, well, I do. I mean to give mobility a hard time because I wish they could have been a little more cautious, maybe worked with some more veterans in the industry to lay things out properly and take their time doing things and think about what the city wants. You know, I see a lot of lawsuits between the carriers and the cities, and most of it's just about building a new tower, putting a new tower in, putting radios in. That's an important issue because everyone wants connectivity. Nobody wants to pay for it. The carriers are willing to pay for it. They're willing to do a lot. But if they can't put towers in, then they have to come up with alternative ways to do things. So obviously the residents complain. That's a big deal. Nobody wants to, uh, you know, piss everybody off. They want to go in as a friendly neighbor. Even tower com I'm sorry. Yeah, even tower companies and even uh, carriers. They want to be seen as a friendly neighbor, someone who is supporting the neighborhood. When you have people that cry out against towers, that's fine, but just give a good reason why. I mean, there are safety issues. They're afraid children will climb the towers. The tower, the people that build the tower have to do everything they can to make it as safe as they can when they build it and all that. The carriers have to maintain a nice tower. And I get it. No one likes the beacons either. That's another common complaint. The beacons on the tower at night. But if we can work together and become good neighbors and maybe come up with creative ways to deploy the wireless systems, maybe we can all live together and be happy again. Now, you're always going to have people that complain one way or the other. Personally, I love to look at a tower. I think they're really cool. I live near towers. I used to have one literally, you know, less than a quarter mile away. I'd clear line of sight through a field. I loved it. To me, it's a sign of progress in what man can do. But a lot of people, they see it as an eyesore. They think it's, it's you know, they, they see radiation. They see things that are bad. But yet, they'll pick up their cell phone and make 20 calls a day. <laughs> so, you know, it's, people can't see the big picture. So when you're painting the big picture, try to help them understand that you're, you're there to help them. And they need to understand that they want better coverage. Maybe they just don't want a tower. So if you can come up with some other way, or, you know, that's why churches, if you can come up with some other way to put the signal to the people, let's do it. Let's work together. And that's, that's the thing. As you deploy towers, as you come up with these solutions, one thing you learn about wireless, it's hurry up and wait. You have a great solution. It takes a long time to deploy everything, mainly because you have all the permitting, the zoning, the construction, the approvals, a lot of insurance you have to pay for up front. Because everyone thinks you just pop up a tower, you're done, you're making money. I wish it were that easy. And it used to be like 15 years ago. It's not that easy anymore because everybody's all the wiser. And that's probably why tower production has slowed down. That's probably why the industry is going through a real lull because it just takes so long to do anything, even simple things. So we all have to work together. That's what we want to do. We want to really make this a better world for everybody. All right. I talked long enough. 
Sorry, just getting some stuff off my chest. Remember, be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya. Mm-hmm.